I felt defeated and I, I told my husband, I just, I don't think I can do this anymore. You know, it's not worth it. Jennifer Scow and her husband Chris were ready for another baby after they had twins in 2010. But one pregnancy after another miscarried and Jennifer was ready to give up. And I lost a total of four pregnancies after the twins were born and it was just so traumatic and devastating. Doctors had tried everything, so when she got pregnant a fifth time, they decided to do things differently. I literally had a conversation with God. God, I'm doing things completely different this time and completely 100% leave it up to you and just trust you. We've tried following the doctor's prescriptions and suggestions, so, um, you know, I think we we're at the point, if, if God wants this to happen, then, then he'll let it happen. When Jennifer made it past 11 weeks, they knew their prayers had been answered. She couldn't wait for her 18-week checkup. I figured we'll get a nice clear shot of the baby on an ultrasound. I could put it in the scrapbook. We'll probably be confirmed at this point if it's a boy or a girl. Sure, you know, sign me up. They were disappointed that Chris, a police officer, had to work the day of the appointment. Jennifer decided to go anyway. I'll go and I'll do it and then I'll surprise you. I'll, you know, we'll do like a gender reveal and I'll let you know and everything will be fine. You don't need to take off work. You know, you see the baby up on the big computer screen. She's looking up all the parts. She's doing the measurements and... But when she got up to the head section, I can tell that her demeanor, it just, everything changed. The ultrasound technician left to get the doctor. And he said, I'm really sorry, I have to tell you this. Your baby has very severe birth defects. I'm laying there telling myself, okay, don't, don't, don't lose it. You gotta ask questions. He told Jennifer that parts of the baby's brain were missing and fluid was building up in the empty cavity. He added that the baby's heart wasn't developing properly. What am I facing here? And he said, basically with the amount of defects and the severity of them, it would be very, very likely that you would lose the baby before you delivered. The doctor recommended she terminate the pregnancy. Jennifer refused and went home to tell Chris. I was just more devastated and just exhausted and just mentally and physically, just emotionally beaten and drained. Seeing how it affected Jen, that's probably the hardest thing to deal with. Despite the report, Jennifer and Chris stood on the decision she made from the start. I said that I wasn't gonna rely on doctors and that I was gonna rely on God. I just prayed. I went through the Bible and any verse that just popped out and looked like it was relevant or was inspirational or just something to grasp onto, I would print that out on my computer and I would tack it to my wall. Jennifer was especially drawn to Matthew 18, 19. You said it, God, it's in the Bible. So, all right, I'm gonna believe it. By now, they knew they were having a daughter and named her Lynette. Jennifer and Chris posted on social media 
and called friends, family, and their church asking for prayer. I had people all the way in Israel. I had people everywhere praying for this pregnancy. I called the 700 Club. I, I called everybody that I could think of. And so I'm like, okay, that is definitely more than two people right there. God, there's a lot of people on that list that are praying for this, this baby. So I need a miracle. Jennifer's medical care was transferred to Hollywood Presbyterian. As doctors monitored the baby's development, they started making some baffling discoveries. We went to the doctor and he was doing the ultrasound of her head. And he's like, oh, I see some more of her brain back here. You know, like, here's her brain, it's, it's back here. All of a sudden, miraculously, she had more of her brain. This was like a celebration. And we were telling our friends, everybody, you know, everybody was just thanking God. Oh, you know, praise you, Jesus. Thank you so much. They continued praying. And on June 13th, 2013, baby Lynette was born with a perfectly normal brain. Still, doctors suspected that the baby would need surgery to repair her heart and transferred her to Los Angeles Children's Hospital. After testing, doctors found nothing wrong. So you're telling me my child that was going to possibly die before I gave birth or soon after is completely normal. It was just an answer to many, many, many prayers. Today, Lynette has no problem keeping up with her brother and sister. I don't think the doctors missed anything. I think they saw what they saw. I think they were seeing what they were trained to look for. I just think it was a miracle. I literally am walking proof. My child is walking proof that God does still do miracles. You just gotta open your mind and your heart and have faith and you'll see them. They're right there and it is not the doctors. It is not science. It is God and you have to give him the glory. We serve a God who still answers prayer and today we're going to be uh Finishing up our series on uh, spiritual warfare and using that to move our way into a series on prayer, which we're going to be doing over the next uh, few weeks. And we're going to be talking today about, uh, oh, there's my Bible. Uh, we are going to be talking about praying in the Spirit, uh, last section of spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter, chapter 6. Uh, so God, we just pray your Holy Spirit over this time, we pray. Uh, that your spirit would build into us, your spirit would teach us, your spirit would uh, just draw our minds and our hearts and our souls in the area that you want us to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do a little bit of a re review of where we've been here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 uh, begins, says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that's just a, a list of various evil spiritual beings. And, and we've talked about this battle that we're in. Uh, every single day, uh, there is this battle going on around us that we can't see with our physical eyes. But we can certainly experience the, experience the effects of this battle in our relationships, in our situations, in our life. This is a very, very real battle, and, uh, and it affects our, life, our lives every single day. 
And because this is a, a, a real battle where evil spiritual beings are trying to mess our lives up, are trying to kill, steal, and destroy, Paul tells followers of Jesus to be strong and to take our stand and because we're in this struggle. Now, how do we stand? How do we be strong in this, in this battle? Well, he goes on to tell us, uh, therefore, put on the full, not just partial, the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, and sometimes that happens every single day, <laughs> you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, to stand firm. So how do we have victory in this spiritual battle? How do we stand strong when uh, evil spiritual beings are trying to mess up our lives or destroy our marriage or uh, to tempt us to, to go down the wrong path? How do we stand strong? It says to put on the full armor of God. And this is an action step. This isn't something that happens automatically just because you're a follower of Jesus. It's something that we do every single day, every single hour. We put on and we keep on the armor of God. And when we do that, we experience uh, victory in spiritual warfare. Now, he lists out the various elements of the armor. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And uh, we've worked through all this. This is a picture of a Roman soldier, and he takes the truth of physical armor and, and brings them into the spiritual world, where we have the belt of truth. Uh, Satan is the father of lies, is one of his names. And he's always trying to get us, trying to get us to believe lies about who God is, to get us to believe lies about who we are, try to get us to believe lies about our situation, and he tries to get us to believe lies about other people. He is constantly trying to fill our mind with lies, and the only way we can distinguish a lie is to know the truth. And so we buckle Jesus, who is the truth, around our waist in his word, and we live in the truth, and therefore we recognize the lies of Satan. And we put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is the beautiful righteousness of forgiveness and grace that Jesus gives you. That if you are a follower of Jesus, Romans 8 tells us that there is no condemnation. Uh, God looks at you with eyes of peace. You have peace with God. And you can boldly go into his throne room of grace and receive mercy and power and what you need in those situations. So we, because uh, Satan's always telling us you can't go into God's presence because you had a bad week. Uh, you're not really forgiven. Again, he tries to get you to believe lies. But we have the breastplate of righteousness on knowing that it's about Jesus and, and the righteousness he has given me. That is why I can have a relationship with God. And then we have the shoes of peace. This world is full of trouble and it's bumpy. Sometimes spiritual warfare can get uh, difficult at times, but we always have the shoes of peace on. Uh, that no matter what kind of ground we're walking on, we just walk in peace. Uh, because we know Jesus is with us. We know he's never going to leave us or forsake us. And so sometimes in the turmoil of the battle, we need to be like Jesus, just sleeping in the boat with these shoes of peace on in all our situations. And then we have the shield of faith. Again, the passage talks about Satan's flaming arrows that he throws at us. Again, trying to get us to believe lies about our situations, about God, about ourselves, about others. But we block those with our shield. That is 
Satan wants us to have faith in the lie that he throws at us. God can't really forgive you. You may have faith in that. Well, I guess God can't. Or you can have your shield of faith and say, nope. <laughs> the Bible says that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive my sin and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. That we have faith in God's word, not in what Satan says. And so we're constantly putting up the shield of faith to block those arrows. And we trust in God and not in what the enemy is saying. And then we put on the helmet of salvation. That is, we, we think saved. We act saved. We live like we're saved. And this comes out of the assurance of salvation, knowing that you're saved. If you don't know you're saved and you're constantly questioning your salvation, you won't walk in authority. You won't walk in the power of God because you're like, well, I'm not sure if I have power or not. And, and you'll just allow Satan to defeat you. you got to think saved and know you're saved and walk in the authority that God has given you. And then you want to take up the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. This word of God, and also includes, because it's the Greek word rhema, includes any word of God that God speaks to us. We stand in that word, and we fight Satan back with the word, as Jesus did. When he was tempted for 40 days, uh, Jesus would fight back with the word. When Satan says, here's a lie, I want you to believe it, you take out the sword and say, no, that's not the truth, this is the truth, and you chase them away. Uh, when he wants you to, to believe that you should be afraid, and that you should be weak because you're a horrible person, you take out your sword and say, nope. The spirit God gave me is not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. You fight back the enemy with the sword of the spirit. And from that, uh, Paul goes on and he says this. And, meaning this is all connected to what he just said, to the armor of God, to spiritual warfare, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests this word and if you study uh the the grammatical the way it is in the greek means this, this is linked to the armor this isn't a piece of the armor but the idea here is as you put on the helmet of salvation you better be praying as you put on the belt of truth you better be praying as you hold your shield you better be praying in other words you're to be praying all the time and that's what it says and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. So if you have an occasion which you're not praying, you're missing something. On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. In other words, this is another way of saying this. Rejoice always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. That part of God's will for you is to be in prayer at all times. In constant communication with, with your Heavenly Father. In constant communication with Jesus. In constant communication with the Holy Spirit on all occasions. This is part of your weaponry. This is part of being strong in the Lord. It's putting on uh, uh, and walking in prayer. Now what is prayer? Uh, I think we probably all know it's basically talking to God. It's having a conversation with God. You see... When people are praying in the Bible, you see them uh, talking to the God of this universe. That's what prayer is. I like what Priscilla says here. She says this, prayer is simply an outpouring of your heart to God and then making room in your life to hear back from him uh, because God speaks uh, and we're, we're to listen. We, we talk and we also listen to what his Holy Spirit is saying to us. Prayer is how we see heaven invade earth. It is what opens up the floodgates 
for God to come down and be involved in our everyday circumstances. It's conversation with God, but also prayer works. Uh, prayer changes our story. Prayer changes things around us. It opens up uh, doors for God to work in our life and in our world. And, and so we're to be constantly in communication with God. Constantly listening, constantly lifting up our hearts and talking to Him as we go throughout uh, our day. Now, uh, a couple things about prayer here. First, true pl- prayer flows out of a relationship, not religion. It's really important to understand this if you want to have an effective prayer life. Because a lot of times we can default to more of a religious view of prayer than a relationship view of prayer. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, talking about the religious Pharisees, for they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Uh, one way we can pray religiously is that if uh, we, d- we just try to show off through our prayers. You know, we, we pray one way in public, but we don't really pray any other time because really we're, we're trying to get our life from what others think about us. That's, that's not true prayer. Uh, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. In other words, you're not getting nothing except for a few people saying, wow, that was a great prayer. That's it. That's all you get. Uh, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. The secret place, as sometimes it's called, where you just you and God, you get alone. It's like going on a date night with your wife, or you go away for a weekend with a friend. Just get alone with God. It's a good thing to do. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. This is another religious way sometimes people pray. And he's not talking about pagans who would just go, you know, you know just repeat a word over and over and over and over and over again, thinking that they're, they're God. If they just spend enough time repeating that word over again, it's going to make their, their prayer answered. And sometimes we can treat God that way, like he is not a real person, he's, he's just a vending machine. That if I just pull the handle enough times, then eventually this computer is going to output my answer to prayer. And it's based on this, you know, jack-in-the-box thing. If I just turn the handle enough, you know, that God is some sort of inanimate object. He's a person. Now, there is a place for persistent prayer, but it's in line with he's a real person. We're praying to a real person. We pray out of relationship, not, not out of religion. And sometimes we can fall into the religious trap when we go to prayer and we start to get stressed out. Uh, I had this for a long time where I just get really anxious when I, when I'd pray, and, and then I'd just get so frustrated and anxious. I was like, "Why? I don't even want to pray." And I realized that was coming from a religious place that I worried that I'm not quite doing it right, or I'm not quite praying the right words, or you know, I got distracted for a minute, and God's got to be ticked at me because I got distracted, and, and you get so stressed. That's that's religion. Because when you understand who God is and his nature, even if you get distracted, God's just like, I love you anyways. Just come back to me. He sees your heart. If if you're wanting to spend time with him and you might get distracted, he knows your heart that you're wanting to spend time with him. You see, when you understand the nature of God, it changes everything. When you understand that prayer is out of a relationship, it allows you to just rest and it allows that stress and anxieties to go away. You don't have to be stressed and anxious in his presence. You can just speak your mind and your heart and you can listen and that's what prayer is supposed to be. Not from an anxious place. And this is what he says. Do not be like them. Don't pray in a religious way. Uh, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. 
This then is how you should pray. Notice how he begins. Our Father in heaven. Relationship. Jesus says, this is how you pray, and it begins with understanding you're praying to someone whom you're in relationship with. This isn't just some prayer that you just go through your list and your mind is other places or some, some prayer where you have to use these and thous because God is King James. Or Just talk to God like you talk to someone else. Uh, you're in relationship with our Father who is in heaven. And this flows out of the Holy Spirit in us. In Romans 8, it says, the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought you uh, brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. And this is true prayer. It's when you, your spirit is saying, oh, Daddy, I need you so much today. And God, would you help me here? And uh, thank you for that yesterday. And you're so awesome. And you just worship Him. And it's out of relationship. And so whenever you sense your prayer becoming religious, uh, put that away. Don't be like them, Jesus says. Pray out of relationship. Understanding that He wants to hear you. And, uh, and he wants to speak to you as well. So he says here in Ephesians, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. And so, again, it's the idea of relationship. Praying in the Spirit means that there is some sort of connection with your prayers and the Holy Spirit. On all occasions. And so if any of your prayers are not in the Spirit, there is something missing. Now what does this mean? Uh, it can mean a lot of different things, as theologians point out. It can mean uh, praying as the Holy Spirit leads. It's good to pray that way. Uh, God, what do you want me to pray about today? Uh, God, is there anything in my life you need me to pray? Is there something in my family, in my church that you want me to be praying? Praying in the Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead your prayers. It can be praying in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, where you pray in the authority that He has given you, especially when it comes to spiritual warfare. It can also have the idea of praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit, a spiritual language that He has given us. And, and we're going to talk more about this probably next week or maybe the week after. Uh, but again, this idea of relationship, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Now our point today is this, that prayer is a powerful weapon in spiritual warfare. Prayer is a very powerful weapon in spiritual warfare. This is why he says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Because you're in a battle, and that battle doesn't stop. It's just, it's, it's, whether you like it or not, again, we're in a spiritual battle, and one of the main ways we fight back is through, is through prayer. This has been recognized all throughout church history. Uh, William Cowper said this, Prayer keeps the kitchen, uh, Christian's armor bright, and Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Uh, prayer brings victory over uh, evil spirits and what they are trying to do. Uh, John Bunyan said, prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. Uh, Guy King said, no one is a firmer believer in the power of prayer than the devil. Not that he practices it, uh, practices it but he suffers from it. And it's true. I mean, uh, prayer changes things in the spiritual world and in the spiritual realm. Uh, we see Jesus teaching this very clearly. Not only did Paul say, do you want spiritual warfare that you're going to pray, pray on all occasions? Jesus, in the very model prayer, and we've talked about this, said this then is how you should pray. And part of his model prayer is that we pray this, deliver us from the evil one. So the very prayer where 
give us our daily bread. This is a daily example of how we're to pray that Jesus said, as part of your daily prayers, you should be praying something along these lines, deliver me from the evil one. That there is a real battle going on, and prayer uh, is a powerful weapon in spiritual warfare. Jesus himself prayed uh, prayer in relation to Satan. In John 17, he says, my prayer is not that you take them, speaking about his disciples, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And this shows that God just does not automatically protect us from the evil one. Jesus had to pray. <laughs> My prayer is that they would be protected. Just as Jesus taught us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. And so protection from the evil one is not an automatic thing. Uh, the clear teaching of the Bible is prayer plays a huge role in whether you experience victory or not victory when it comes to spiritual uh, warfare. We see Luke chapter 22, Simon, Simon, or you could stick your name in there because it says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked, uh, asked to sift you all, uh, all of you as wheat, and, and Satan's always wanting to do that. He's want to sift us. He wants to mess us up. He wants to hurt our marriage or our relationship or our church or whatever, but notice what Jesus says. He didn't say, well, that's okay because God always protects you. That's not what he says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Again, prayer seemingly makes the difference, and it makes the difference in your life and my life when it comes to this spiritual battle. Or Matthew 26, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Again, Satan, one of his names is the tempter. He's constantly tempting you in areas where you're weak, and he also tempts us, by the way, in areas that we're very strong. Because where we're very strong, we're effective. He wants to ruin that. But he also knows where we're weak. And so he's constantly tempting us. And what does Jesus say? Part of the battle plan is pray. It's not automatic that we're protected from temptation. Jesus says pray so that you won't fall into temptation. Again, prayer is a powerful weapon in spiritual warfare. So much so, again, that Paul says be praying on all occasions. On all occasions. We see uh, an example of this in Exodus. Sometimes, well often, in the Old Testament, the physical stories, the physical stories of the Old Testament paint for us spiritual realities. And we see this in Exodus 17. This is when the Israelites had been freed from the Egyptians. They're on their way to Mount Sinai. And this army of Amalekites come and attacks them. It says the warriors of, of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army, army of Amalek for us tomorrow. I will stand up on top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Uh, meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage Whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. And, and this is a, a picture of prayer. When he's holding up his hands, it's like a picture of praying for this battle that's going on. When he dropped his hands, it's like a picture of us not praying for this battle that's going on. And so whenever Moses raised his staff in prayer, that the Israelites began to win and the Amalekites began to lose. As soon as he stopped, <laughs> the Amalekites began to win and the Israelites began to lose. So Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. 
So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. And it's really important that when it comes to bigger issues in spiritual warfare, you think this issue is not just, it's kind of a big issue. Maybe like even the example we saw in the testimony, you need to get others in praying with you. Uh, this is what Moses did. He had two others helping him pray. And there are times when you've got to phone someone up and say, you know, there's a real battle going on right now. I need your prayers. Uh, or you uh, get more people praying with you. But anyways, as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Again, physical story with a spiritual reality. That is, again, prayer makes a difference in the battle. When you are in prayer, you will see a lot more victory when it comes to the spiritual battle you are in, than when you are not praying. Now, daily victory in spiritual warfare is dependent on prayer. God will not automatically bring you victory unless you ask. We've talked about this a bit, but it's super important to know. Sometimes we just assume, ah, because I'm a Christian, I'm just automatically safe. You may believe that, but it's not the story of the Bible. Uh, the very passage of spiritual warfare is written to Christians that you need to put on the armor of God in order to see victory. You need to pray in order to see victory. Again, uh, again, Luke 22. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked you to sift you all as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Victory in this situation was dependent on Jesus' prayer. Victory in your situation in a spiritual battle is often dependent on whether you're engaging in prayer or not. Again, the same passage, Matthew 6, we look, or 26, we looked at these. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Again, victory in spiritual battle dependent on prayer. Uh, there are victories that uh, we could have had, all of us here, including myself, that we have not had because we didn't pray. And there are things that we have won, <laughs> that Satan wanted to win, uh, that he lost because we prayed. Daily victory in spiritual warfare is dependent on prayer. God will not automatically bring you victory unless you ask. But sometimes he will. Sometimes God will just step in and you have no idea. And it's like, wow, thank you, God. And it's amazing. But you can't depend on that because the Bible teaches us to pray. One of the big lies Satan tries to get us to believe is that prayer does not make a difference. It doesn't make a difference in spiritual warfare. Uh, God already knows what you need before you ask, so just don't ask. <laughs> don't pray. Uh, God is sovereign. He's in charge of everything, so your prayers don't really make a difference because God's just going to do what he's going to do anyways. These are these, these things that Satan tries to get us to, to take in the wrong way into a place where we think, well, I don't really need to pray. Now, prayer doesn't really change things. Uh, prayer doesn't really make a difference. But the clear testimony of the Bible is prayer, as I always say, changes the story. Prayer changes your story. Prayer really does work. And there are billions of testimonies throughout church history of this reality. In fact, Paul in our very passage reminds us of this. Ephesians 6, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now, if prayer really didn't change things, why would God tell us to be praying all the time? Because there are really important things to do in life. I mean, I mean, like 
telling people about Jesus and all these things we could be doing. I mean, if, if, if prayer didn't make a difference, why would he tell us to be, you know, praying all the time and on all occasions, pray for all the Lord's people? It would just be like God would be saying, well, just go home. Please waste a bunch of time on prayer. I mean, it obviously makes a difference. Prayer changes things. Uh, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me. So that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, do you think it's God's will for Paul to proclaim the gospel fearlessly? Obviously. Uh, do you think it's uh, God's will that he makes known the mystery of the gospel? Obviously. Then why is Paul asking for prayer? If it's already God's will. Isn't God just going to do what he's going to do? <laughs> because a lot of times, the difference between God's will being done and not done is prayer. And we see this all throughout the scripture where God, we know it's God's will, but the difference between God's will being done and not being done is when we engage in prayer. And this goes all the way back to God being a relational God. God doesn't sit up in heaven and say, you know, I'm just going to do everything myself. He could, and it would be better, probably. Uh, but God's not, he's a relational. He wants to work in and through us. He's like, uh, we've talked about this before. It's like how uh, in our church, when we write a check, we have to have two signatures for it to work. And God is like that. He's like, he puts this check. It's, here's what I want to do. And he signs his name, and he waits for us to engage with prayer to sign the other name. I mean, often the difference between God's will being done in your life and not, or in this battle that we're in or not, is whether we engage in prayer prayer or not. Uh, an example, Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, do you think it would be God's will for him to, 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 to heal the land and to forgive people's sins? Of course, that's God's will. But the difference between that being done and not done, there's an if statement here. If my people humble themselves and if they would just pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then my will's going to be done. See, prayer changes the story. It changes the story in your life. It changes the story in my life. It changes the story uh, uh, in, in, uh, in our church. Another example is Isaiah 37. Then Isaiah Son of Amos sent a message to Hezekiah. This is when uh, the Assyrian army was coming in. They had destroyed every single city around Jerusalem. I mean, we're talking like 10 zip victories. I mean, there's just no chance. I mean, they were so powerful. They come to Jerusalem. Jerusalem has no chance in this battle. I mean, it's just like 100% lose. But as Hezekiah prays. He prays that God would step in. He prays that God would bring him victory. And Isaiah, who's a prophet, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Because you have prayed to me concerning Shennacherib, king of Israel, he goes on to say, you're going to have victory. Because you have prayed, you're going to see victory in this impossible situation. And the question is, well, what if he didn't pray? Because you have prayed... There's the most amazing victory you guys could ever realize because you have prayed. What if you didn't pray? What if you don't pray? 
Uh, what if there are situations in your life where God is saying, I want to do this, and he's just waiting for you to pray? What if you don't pray? Because if you do, there might be this, this phrase, because you have prayed, this is broken loose in your life. Because you have prayed, this blessing hits. Because you have prayed, this person, you have this connection with this person, they end up meeting Jesus or whatever it might be. Because you have prayed. This is why God is constantly encouraging us to pray more. All through the Bible. Romans 12, be faithful in prayer. Ephesians 6, always keep on praying. 1 Timothy 2, I want the men everywhere to pray. Philippians 4, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Colossians 4, devote yourselves to prayer. 1 Thessalonians, pray continually. God is telling us something. Over and over again, the more you pray, the more you see God work. And a lot of times I, I run into people saying, you know, I just, I don't ever see God answer prayer. And uh, often I found those, pe those people are either caught up in a religious mode of prayer or they don't pray much. You find someone who prays a lot, you know what you find? Lots of answered prayer. <laughs> Answer prayer is also just realizing who God is. Because the more your heart gets in line with the Father's heart, the more prayer you will see answered. And this is what uh, John said. He says, if we pray anything according to his will, he hears us. And the more you understand God's nature, and the more you pray in accordance with his will, the more you just begin to see answered prayer. But anyways, the point was today, uh, prayer brings victory in spiritual warfare. And it's important to recognize this. Because there will be times where you will just see Satan at work. Uh, Marie and I had this just this last week. Like, we were just like, there's just something funky going on in our marriage. Like, we're just like, kind of getting, just, it just wasn't like usual. And, uh, and I just rebuked enemy. And it was amazing how things changed. Uh, you might be just hanging out with people. I've had this in meetings where there's a lot of confusion. Uh, there seems to be people tr getting a little bit offended and people jumping on others. And it's just, there's Satan's at work. And this is where you bring in prayer. Uh, in the name of Jesus, we break what Satan is doing in the situation, and we just uh, release the Holy Spirit in this room to break what Satan's doing. There are times when people have sensed during services here uh, that the enemy is just pushing a little harder than usual, and thankfully there are people here who stand up in the Spirit and they break what Satan is doing. Uh, this can happen in your marriage. It can happen when your family's together. It can happen uh, just when you're out where you just sense there are evil spirits pushing in on you, and prayer makes a difference. Because again, Jesus said, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. And you're on his side. He's also given you authority over evil spiritual beings. And, and so you can take authority through prayer when this battle begins to push and, uh, and, uh, and to, to, uh, it gets too close to home in your life. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talking more about prayer. That's super important. And, and I think we need to be reminded prayer works. And prayer changes the story. And so let's be praying together for this community. Let's be praying together for each other. Uh, let's be praying together. And uh, if there are things that you're struggling with, again, uh, get other people praying for you. That's why we have a prayer team over here. Sometimes the one thing that keeps us from victory is pride. Sometimes we say, you know, I'm not going to actually, uh, I'm just going to deal with this on my own. I got this issue, but I'm just going to deal with it on my own. And I'm just, just me and God, we're going to pray about it. And, and you never see answer. You know why? Pride. Because you're not able to humble yourself enough to ask for help. 
And the real thing God's wanting to work on is your pride because I'm just going to work on this to you and me. And it's not just a you, it's actually it's, it's a pride thing. And sometimes I've seen the older Christians get, sometimes the more prideful they become and just becomes more me and God. And we always just need to be willing to say, hey, I need prayer. And, uh, and uh, it doesn't have to be a long prayer, but just be willing to ask others for prayer. This brings, there's something in the spiritual realm that the more people you have praying, it tends to see uh, a greater answers when it comes, comes to prayer. Uh, just a couple of minutes, does anybody have any comments on prayer and spiritual warfare or anything you've seen in your own life? Yeah, Lyle. Well, yeah. Yeah, Danielle, yeah. Yeah, Cara.
Amen. Uh, awesome. I invite the worship team up. During our last song, um, communion will be available, and you can just make your way up here. Um, if you don't know what this is, this is something that Jesus uh, uh, told us that we are to participate in uh, uh, at various times when we gather together. And there's bread and there's juice in this cup. Uh, it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed before he was crucified. He was with his disciples, and, um, and, and on that night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and uh, he said, this is the sign of the new covenant. That is the sign of a relationship with him. Forgiveness, grace, the Holy Spirit in us. And it's been sealed by his blood and we drink this in remembrance of him. And so this is just a part of worship where we come and we uh, reflect in a physical manner that we taste and experience Jesus because He's not just out there, but he is in us and through us. And uh, again, this also reminds us that we're a family together. As uh, Corinthians and Paul talks about how uh, this makes up one loaf and we all take a little piece and we all leave, but we're, we're one loaf of bread together. And so as you come, uh, make sure you look at people, smile at people, uh, worship Jesus. And uh, so God, we just ask uh, for your spirit to work as we close this service. Uh, God, may your spirit work in us as we come to this table as we remember your broken body, as we remember your shed blood, God, I pray you would help us to remember afresh what you have done for us. Because you have died on the cross and we are now your children. And we don't live in fear anymore, but we live and walk in the power of your spirit. And so God, minister to us in this time. In Jesus' name. <laughs> 